This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 706, flashback to September Shenanigans podcast. This is episode 706. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is a flashback to September 1999 uh, episode. Um, one thing I was, I was thinking about today was that um, I'm just trying to think about what I'd like to talk about for this episode. Uh, our next episode is going to have, have be another uh, return to form in terms of having an interview. It's going to be an interview with um, acclaimed colorist and Eisner award winning Matt Wilson. Um, but uh, in the meantime, I thought, uh, you know, what, what will this episode be about? And then I uh, came up with, you know, I, I've, I've listened to other shows where they sometimes they'll you know, do flashback type of stuff to, you know, specific months or like 20 years earlier, or 30 years earlier. And I thought, you know what, I have fond memories of reading comics in the late 90s. I know a lot of people don't, um, but that's when I was getting into comics. So I thought, you know, what was I reading in 1999? Um, so, I th- so using Comic Book DB, uh, I was able to kind of look at uh, pull up comics that came out in sub- at least cover dated September 1999. Uh, it came up with 550 things, so I'm not talking about all of them. I'm just going to kind of go through an alphabetical list and just off the top of my head, just kind of riff on on some of the things that I'm seeing and uh, what books I remember reading at the time, remember seeing on the stands, and just kind of go through my own memories that way. Uh, and maybe I'll, like in later times, maybe I'll do like more. You know, maybe I won't do it every month, but you know, I'll do it from time. to time maybe uh it doesn't always have to be 20 years could be you know a, a different amount but there's something to me that was special about kind of looking back at 1999 so cover date is september 99 which would have come out a little earlier than that um i this is the year i turned 16 i turned 16 in november 1999 um just to kind of put my own personal date stamp on it uh the fir- one of the first books that kind of jumps off um the list at me is a book i, I believe i've talked about before on this show and if i haven't uh that's that's on me um is uh, a book i loved which was a next uh, this was, it started in 1998, so in uh, September, all these, uh, I'm going to say September, but you know I'm talking about cover-dated books, so it's not actually September, but just for, for ease of talking about it, I'm just going to keep saying September. Um, so in September 1999, we have A-Next, number 12, which is uh, called The End of the Avengers, written by Tom DeFalco, artwork by Ron Friends, and uh, I, I really love this book, and I go back, and I, I, like, I have... I think I own the first six issues in that weird digest trade they did at some point. I may not actually, but I own the original 12 singles. I own it digitally. Uh, if they ever created like a trade paperback for it, I'd buy it. I'm buying the Spider Girl stuff right now. I, I would support any MC2 stuff coming into any kind of collection, I'll buy. Um, now, the digest, I had my chance years ago and I didn't really like the digest for those books. Plus, this is back when I wouldn't buy a trade if I already owned in the singles. <laughs> How things have changed. Um, but for like a long time, uh, I remember when I first started buying trade paperbacks, which probably would have been 2004 or five, like in, like actually in earnest buying things. A lot of what I was buying at the time was actually more DC stuff because I was buying everything Marvels and singles, but I wasn't going to duplicate the, the work, So, which is 
It's so funny. Again, it just seems like such an antiquated notion because I have stuff that I've like triple and quadruple dipped now. Yet once in a, once upon a time, I said no to all these paperbacks because I'm like, well, I already own this in singles. I don't need it again. And if I go on and be like, Adam, you're not going to want those singles someday. Someday you're not going to care. Someday you would you would happily take fifty cents on the dollar probably just to get rid of them all and get get them out of your house and just replace them with these beautiful collections instead. Don't wait. Don't wait. That being said, then I would have a conundrum because then I would be faced with having all the original uh, thin trade paperbacks, which would have been overpriced, um, instead of having the nice, beefier collections that we have now. So really, you cannot win if you're in the collected editions game. And I know Eric Anthony, a friend of the show and a frequent... um, well, just all around great guy, and also the podcaster behind the amazing Cave of Solitude podcast, which you should really check out their feed right now. They, he's uh, he put up a couple episodes from uh, Fan Expo this year, and um, probably the best. No offense to him, because obviously the other ones are him actually talking to people, but uh, just in terms of you don't, I feel like you don't get this much. Is there's a great panel by Todd McFarlane, and it's just riveting. It's so fascinating just hearing him talk, and it's not about you know business and. And it, it wasn't even necessarily, I mean, there's some great historical ideas in there, but he's really kind of pushing people to be the next big thing, to try and be the next big thing. And he, it's just, it's really interesting. I just found I could just listen to him forever. And like, he's, there's just some people where they'll tell a story and I don't even care if it's the same story I've heard many, many times. Like, I kind of feel that way about like Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends, obviously the creators of A Next. Um, whenever they're on a podcast, like, Yes, they end up kind of going to the same riffs and hear the same stories. And I could care less because they're fascinating and they're great storytellers. And that's what I got from Todd McFarland is that, you know, he's he's not just a visual storyteller. He can just he can rip a, whip up a story on his own. Uh, he's got a very definitive viewpoint, but he's interesting to listen to. And I would just keep listening. Anyways, A next. <laughs> um, issue 12 was unfortunately the last book of the series. Uh, introduced the Revengers. Everything about the book was obviously very kind of retro-ish. Um, and it feels like a, a good old-fashioned Marvel comic in the best way. It does, not meant to be a pejorative. Um, such a fun book. And here you got the Revengers, who are Red Queen, Big Man, Ion Man, Saber Claw, Killer Watt. Uh, just it, it's just kind of an old-school Avengers slobber knocker, but it just happens to be about a future team. Uh, so I really love that book. Uh, so I definitely would have. Bu- I'm, pr- I'm I'm trying to think back because there was a point where I wasn't buying. All the all the issues of Anex as they were coming out because I didn't really have the money, but then I decided to kind of fill it up. So I feel like I jumped in around issue seven and started buying them regularly. So I feel like I actually would have purchased this when it came out. Um, it's the Adventures of Superman five seventy. I couldn't tell you anything about the Superman books of this era. Um, they had given up on the. Oh no, they were still doing the Triangle. Man, that late. Uh, the One Man JLA Part Two of Four. The Adventures of Superman from Krypton to Ran. Very cool cover. Uh, looks like it's written by Ron Mars. Um, I don't remember anything about that Superman era. I was such a DC neophyte. Like I'd read some early issues of DC comics, but they weren't really on my radar. Uh, it wasn't something I was really following. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man hit issue number nine. Uh, at the time, it was being written by, or at least plotted and written by John Byrne and Howard Mackey. And then you had pencils by John Byrne and Ray Crissing, uh, inks by Ray Crissing, and colors by Gregory Wright. The color is actually quite striking. Um, the interiors. I don't recall it being that memorable. It, it wasn't. It just wasn't a great era for Spider-Man. Um, it was just kind of forgettable, unfortunately. 
looking back, there's a an American Splendor that I didn't come to American Splendor until 2003 or four, whenever the movie came out. Uh, and I just was so entranced by the movie. It's funny, before the movie even came out, I happened to be at the World's Biggest Bookstore, which doesn't exist anymore in Toronto. Um, that was actually the name. It wasn't just a claim. It was called the World's Biggest Bookstore. And it was there for a long, long time. And eventually it was taken down. But and, and it, it does not feel like it's been that long, but it has. Um, and I remember going into that, into that store and seeing... American Splendor, and it was uh, just before the movie came out because it had the movie cover, but the movie hadn't actually hit yet. And I was like, what is this? And I remember picking it up and reading just the first page or two, and where he kind of introduces himself. It's uh, It was a collection of, of various different American Splendor shorts over the years, and uh, or stories. And um, it was one about, like, you know, what, what's in a name? Who is Harvey Picar? I believe that's what the first story was. And I was just so like, whoa, what is this? Like... I again, I was not the most diverse person in terms of reading comics. I was kind of superheroes or bust, and that was maybe one of the first times where I really kind of got to peek into a different world. That being said, that's kind of bullshit that I'm even saying that because I was big in the cross gen comics, which would have come out uh, well before American Splendor for sure. Uh, the movie, at least, obviously the comic far predated it. So I, I had tried other things, but this was this was different. You know, this was real life. This is black and white. This wasn't. This wasn't fantastical. It wasn't set in a crazy universe. You know, it was just our world. And I was just so so taken by it. And to this day, like, I love the American Spider movie. I'm so sad that my wife, I'm pretty sure I tried showing it to her once. She was like, I don't like this. I don't, I don't care about this. And I'm like, ah, oh, come on. It's so good. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's just so fantastic. Um, also this month, wow, what a weird month. Uh, Astonishing X-Men. That makes sense. I think of it as a summer book. Astonishing X-Men, the, uh, not the Age of Apocalypse title, but the one that's launched in 1999. It was a three-issue miniseries written by Howard Mackey uh, and also uh, penciled by Brandon Peterson. It was coming out of The Shattering, you know, that fantastic X-Men storyline. Uh, cool team. Uh, at least on the cover, you got Cable with the Scimitar days um, and the uh, abundance of, you know, a lot of... Um, Yellow on jumpsuit on his on his blue bodysuit. You have Nate Gray, X Man. You got Fe- uh, Jean Gray in her Phoenix costume. You got Cyclops, Wolverine, and, and Archangel. Uh, very cool look. Um, it ended up not being a great series, uh, but I, I still I, I still think that maybe the execution didn't always work, but some of the ideas were sound. Um, in terms of building up a threat, the X-Men have been disbanded. What's going on with Xavier? They're going to put together this other team to go do this other thing. They're going to end up fighting against the new horseman death. Like, there's, And when it all is said and done, like, it looks like Wolverine's going to die. And then anyways, all sorts of things happen, and it's not really Wolverine who died. Kind of crazy stuff. Anyways, did it all work out? No. But I at least appreciate their audacity. Uh, also, this month, you had Avengers number 20. Um, this was during the Busick and George Perez run. Uh, and not just during any run. This was during Ultron Unlimited, which I think to this day, I mean, it's been 20 years, but I'm pretty sure a lot of people would say it's one of the best Ultron stories um, that was ever told in Avengers. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's of its time. It, it's, it definitely feels like it's from a different, different era, but I still like it so much. Man, that artwork just sings. Um, a book that I never really uh, uh, kind of understood much of or never followed much of uh, was Azrael, Agent of the Bat, uh, and actually, so if you're thinking back to 1999, uh, right in the middle of No Man's Land, that does not, in some way, like when I first started reading DC Comics more regularly, it would have been probably 2003, 2004. And I think back, and it felt like it was years since No Man's Land had happened, but really, it was a handful of years. Now it's been 20 years, but at the time, like, it's just so interesting how our perspectives on time change. Like, I remember reading Cataclysm in grade nine, and, uh, and then, yeah, fast forward, and I was reading Batman comics in, like, 
Bruce Wayne murderer, all that kind of stuff when I was in university. But it felt so divorced and so far away from where I had been. So it's just interesting, again, how time kind of messes with you. Uh, let's go to the bees. Uh, I got Batman 569, who's on the creative team on this, who's who's working on Batman in 1999. Uh, I want to say it's got to be... Oh, Janet Harvey, uh, artwork by Sergio Cariello. Again, part of No Man's Land. Um, it's I Cover the Waterfront was, uh, I guess, the, the particular branding of this issue. It was such a long, sprawling event, so you... It's hard to kind of look back and be like, well, what issue is this? Because it's part of this, this massive hole, which I do own in all those uh, trade paperbacks they put out a few years ago. Uh, what else kind of uh, jumps up at me? Uh, ooh, ooh, that's a that's an issue to, to notice. Uh, I got Batman Dark Victory number zero, uh, which I believe was a Wizard exclusive, so it would have come out with uh, Wizard this month. So crazy. That's 20 years old? Like, I guess I must have read that when it wasn't even that old, which, again weird perspectives on time uh 999 you also would have had the um ninth issue of birds of prey the 11th issue of the black panther run by christopher priest again these were books that i read or came came to later um if we go alphabetically we got cable 71 which was a pencil by rob liefeld uh which was kind of one of his returns to the character uh, i can't remember exactly which issue he came back to but at least he's doing it here it's written by joe pruitt again this is all the kind of the, the lead up to the 12 which had uh liefeld art in a bunch of these cable issues um i remember reading that actually i i bought that when it first came out um and i at the time i think i liked it you know i i a lot of people like to slag Liefeld, and I mean, I have probably made fun of him in the past somewhere. Um, I, 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 I do find it's so interesting to hear him in any interviews or hear him speak, or it's just that he love he does love comics. Like he may not be the best artist, but I don't know if you can find like another good. There's a few people that are really good cheerleaders for comics, and he feels like a really good one, uh, even if maybe his art isn't always to everyone's to everyone's taste. Uh, also this month, you had Captain America by Wade and Kubert. Man, what a creative team. Oof. Uh, what a great period. Um, you had uh, Catwoman. Very long-running title. I didn't realize it like it was, well, maybe not long, long-running, but it was up to the issue, what, 72 here. So again, part of No Man's Land, written by John Ostrander, artwork by Jim Balant, who I believe they're starting to do uh, collected editions, uh, collecting his work on uh, the Catwoman series. Because, you know, his, I would say his Catwoman really, for a lot of people, is you know, people's Catwoman. I mean, then the character was, you know, changed so much with the, um, what was it, the Cook and Brubaker run, but which kind of revolutionized the character for years. But for a long time, the Jim Balant uh, Catwoman was definitely like the Catwoman. Um, and a lot of people would say that it's very memorable. This month, you also have uh, Contest of Champions uh, 2, number one and two. Not a great book, but a fun book and a silly book. And remember Chris Claremont artwork by... Uh, Juan Barranco or Oscar Jimenez Garrido. It looks like there's two names here uh, for the same person. Um, a lot of different people show up here. I always like that the Slinger showed up kind of briefly, um, which kind of tells you something about the time that this was done in. Uh, you got Daredevil Half, um, which is kind of interesting. Um, I can't remember if this happened after. I guess this must have happened after the actual run that launched uh, uh, Marvel Knights, but I'm not really remembering it that well. Or what was going on during this period? Uh, again, I, I wasn't reading Daredevil at the time, so I was kind of um, naive to what was actually going on. There was a, a new Dead Deathlock book was launched at this time by Joe Casey and Leonardo Manco. Um, I remember it mainly because it came out of um, um, an arc in the X Men books or an X Men Annual uh, with like Red Skull and like 
I guess not phalanx tech, I don't think, but that kind of idea. It was kind of a, a short-lived imprint of called M-Tech, um, which if you're like, what's that? Yeah, exactly. It doesn't really, it's not really a thing. It didn't, didn't really go very far. I think I had, what, three books? It had X-51, Deathlock, and Warlock. Um uh, you know, they were just kind of trying stuff. And I do appreciate that kind of idea of just kind of throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. And it's not always going to work. Um, this uh, this month also would have seen the 32nd issue of Deadpool uh, by Joe Kelly and Pete Woods. Again, at the time, wasn't following that stuff. It just wasn't on my radar. Um, Death, uh, sorry, Detective Comics, uh, at the time being written by Larry Hama and Mike Diodato. Man, that's a... A crazy, that's a crazy group, eh? You don't expect to see those two names together. Uh, or maybe you do, and you're just smarter than I am, and you knew that, that they worked together. It just doesn't seem like what I would expect from either. Um, I'm just going to go in here. Ooh, that's a book I loved. Earth X, uh, which started in this this uh, this year, was up to chapter six, uh, issue number six. Love this book. Um, always have, always will. Um, it's one of those things, though, where I never finished it. Sorry, I take that back. I read Earth X. I read... Uh, Universe X, and I never finished Paradise X. I think I was always like two or three issues away from the end. And then I had the collected editions, like the old original ones when they first collected the series. And I had the Earth X one, and I had both volumes of Universe X. And then I only had volume one of Paradise X, and to this day I have not ever gotten the second volume, and I've never finished the story, I don't think. And it's so involved that, like, I can't just go and be like, well, I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to read it now. Like, fuck that. you got to read Earth X, and you got to read both Universe X. And this is super dense. I mean... Uh, but for better or for worse, there is so much info dumping in that series that you can't just go into it and be like, "Well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pick up an issue." No, you got to be sit down, you got to be ready, you got to clear the mechanism, you got to be ready to like get an info dump directed directly into your mind, which is fucking crazy. Uh, but yeah, EarthX came out again, not buying it at the time. Um, a friend of mine. I was buying him issues at a comic book store. We had a bit of a falling out in the middle, but that's how I started reading some of the issues because I was picking stuff up for him at the comic book store and bringing that to him. Um, also this month, crazy to think it's been 20 years. Um, let's see, what else? We have uh, Fantastic Four, number 21. Uh, I'm only bringing it up because this is by the Claremont uh, Salvador La Roca team, uh, which is now being reprinted in the Heroes Return collections. Um, so in the next one, I think we get up to issue 21 and past that. Um, I don't remember a lot of it because, again, I didn't read a lot of it at the time. I read a few issues around, like, issues five and six, and uh, I've read a bunch of stuff since, but um, I don't really remember it that much. So I'm actually excited to read that material, or, I, like, I read through it, but I didn't really see much of it. Um, speaking of something, like, I read later, but and don't actually own in collected format in any way, is uh, Flash 152 uh, by Brian Michael Augustine and Mark Wade. And uh, this is uh, Paul Pelletier on pencils. And this is, uh, it just says that, New Kid in Town. The fast lane just got faster. And it's, I believe, the first appearance of, um, of, a, of a different Flash. Uh, in this case, the, uh, what's his name? Oh, man. Maybe I'm wrong. Is it the Dark Flash? Or is it just the Walter West Flash? Now, I'm trying to remember. When you're just looking at, like, random covers. And then ComicDB doesn't always give you a lot of information on what you're actually looking at. So it's kind of like, what happened? Um... What a weird period, uh, but really interesting. I remember reading in Wizard about what was going on with that and who this other Flash might have actually been. Uh, yeah, Gambit number eight came out. I'm trying to remember if I picked this up. Nah, this is by uh, Fabian Nicieza. I know this was collected a year or two ago. Um, I, I don't remember seeing much of it. Like I, I wasn't buying as many books. Again, I couldn't afford that many books because I was still in high school. Uh, Generation X had a. Um, uh, it looks like the Gen X kids are in Hellions costumes again. 
I never really read that series, although fans of that series should check out uh, the Epic Marvel podcast. They've been doing a series of uh, amazing interviews and discussions on the original Generation X books. They had a, a lot of great guests, uh, including Buckingham, I believe Lobdell. Um, they had, uh, I'm trying to think what else they had. They had, um, I believe, the director of the Generation X telefilm. So you got to check out that those interviews. Um, it's really interesting. Uh, over in Green Lantern Way, uh, Dan Jurgens was writing uh, the book with Tom Weil on, on art. And again, this is back when you had Kyle Rayner as the one and only Green Lantern kind of running around. Uh, and you didn't really have anything else going on, uh, which is, again, such a weird but fascinating period to see. Um you know, and, and I don't even remember Dan Jurgens working on freaking Green Lantern. Like that's crazy. Like it just—it's such an interesting, you know, kind of mix of different people. Um, and I like kind of figuring or seeing some of that when you go back. I, I ended up reading all of that entire Green Lantern run at some point, so I know I've read it, but it doesn't immediately uh, stand out. Um, looking over back at Marvel, uh, we had uh, from uh, issue what six of of a Hulk run. Is that right? Um, yeah, oh, man, that was a short-lived run by John Byrne and Ron Garney. Um, which, if you check out my previous conversations with Ron Garney, we talk about that run. Um, also, you have Impulse Fifty Two came out during this month. Um, what else? You had an issue of Hour Man. Uh, in terms of things I read at the time or knew of at the time, first of all, you had Inhumans number eleven, the Paul Jenkins J Lee run was nearing its conclusion, and then you also had um, Iron Man and Iron Man Twenty by Kurt Busiek, Roger Stern, Sean Chan, and Patrick Zerker. I've always loved this cover. It's got this kind of weird, gigantic war machine. Uh, this is kind of during my favorite run of Iron Man, especially when I was younger, because I got to I got to start with the book at Heroes Return, and I read it up until issue fifty or so, and that's when I kind of decided to take a leave of the character, and I never really came back in the same way. Um, but that that came out this month. Uh, talking about MC two earlier, we have uh, the twelfth issue and final issue of J two, also written by Tom DeFalco this time with artwork by Ron Lim. And that always felt like a, a nice conclusion to where that storyline was going in terms of Juggernaut, um, or the original Juggernaut, I should say. What else came out this month? You got the second issue of JSA. Man, that was 20 years ago. Um, the big new return to the team. And I don't remember reading that much of this. This is by Goyer and Robinson. Obviously, I read a lot of the um, uh, Jeff John stuff that kind of came afterwards. Um, but, you know, this is where it all starts um, with Steven Sadowski on, on uh, art. What else we got? Uh, looking as we go um, alphabetically, what else we got? I'm just kind of going through here. Looking for something good. Well, we have, uh, let's see, Marvel Marvel Heroes Reborn. It's interesting. When you look at comic book DB, you end up with like stuff that's from like different countries um, or stuff that's not really published in the way like we're used to seeing in the in the in the U.S. or at least in North America. So you end up with some weird stuff. Here we go. Uh, a book I, I did not, wasn't picking up at the time. Really enjoy it. And I picked it up and collected when they finally started doing the collected editions every, uh, what, last year. Uh, it's Mutant X, uh, issue 12, the kind of the end of the first story. I'm always surprised that that book went on for as long as it did, what, almost three years? Um, because, like, it replaced a book that used to have a more of a sense of identity. And I feel like started to have less of one the further along it got you had uh, uh, x factor and i would say like that there was a really stylized period where and i can't remember the artist but around issue like 125 or so it was super stylized but cool and they're on the run and it was just, it was just a really cool different book and then they kind of lost that as it neared 150 and then it was kind of totally just 
relaunched as Mutant X. And it kind of makes me sad sometimes because there were storylines and characters that never really got addressed, I think, uh, after that, or at least probably didn't get treated that well. Uh, also, this month you had an uh, issue of Nightwing. Uh, this would have been issue, what, 35? A part of No Man's Land Escaped Blackgate Part 1, The Belly of the Beast by Dixon and McDaniel. What a creative team. Um, such a, a you know great fit for that book. There's just something about the kinetic atmosphere that uh, McDaniel really brought to the book. And then speaking of kinetic atmosphere, you have... Uh, oh, I should I take that back. He didn't illustrate it. You had uh, Nova, the Human Rocket, written by Eric Larson, artwork, artwork by Coy Turnbull. And um, the, the cover's fun, though. It's by uh, Larson and uh, Townsend. And it just looks... It's it got Spider-Man on it. Um, it's interesting to look at Spider-Man by Larson, but have it with like a more modern color kind of colorist or modern for the time and it, it definitely changes how we view the art I don't know why that is it's something about the original four color artwork uh, I really miss in terms of the colors um, Peter Parker Spider-Man ugh, I bought that um, this is by Howard Mackey and John Romita Jr. I actually really remember enjoying this this is uh, The Horror Returns Venom is back I don't think they ever really got to where they wanted to with the Venom stories here but it was definitely interesting like the symbiote, they, it did feel like they were trying to go back to like making it scarier and not just like beefcake, but this this cr- creepy idea of the symbiote. But I don't know if JRJR was was able to kind of maybe do that as well. I don't know if that was really up his um, in his wheelhouse in terms of what he would, he could really bring to the page. Um, but it, it's still his art; it's still good art. But you know, I don't know if the the conception for what they wanted to do with Venom maybe jazzed with him as well. Um, you had issue of Robin, which was written by Dixon with Stash Johnson on art, um, which was again part of No Man's Land because it engulfed the entire world. <laughs> um, and then we got Savage Dragon issue sixty seven. It's what past two fifty now. Like it's that just keeps moving too, um, and will probably just keep going forever. Song of the Hedgehog because at the time I didn't even know he had a book, and there was like so, so many comics. That existed with you know the Sonic uh, character. There's Sonic the comic by I guess Edgemont magazines in the UK. You had uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, which had started in '93, uh, hit, hit issue '74. Um, speaking of another book that started, you know, you had uh, Spawn uh, kept going, which with I believe issue '87, and now it's what issue 300. Um, that didn't go away. Uh, Spider Girl was also up to issue 12. Uh, and also had an annual this month. Uh, issue 12 uh, by Tom DeFalco and Pat Olive with uh, a Dark Devil story. always really liked Dark Devil. Um, you know, this is before I became really a Daredevil fan. I just liked the visual of Dark Devil and the way they kind of played him as being kind of uh, kind of crazy and kind of all over the place, but it was always really interesting. And then you have the Spider-Girl annual, and you had a story by Ron Friends. Uh, sorry, written by Tom DeFalco and written... Sorry, written by Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends. Artwork by Pat Olive. My bad. Uh, I guess did Pat Olive do all the stories here? I'm just trying to see. It looks like he did. Oh, no, there was one story. Uh, oh, it was a Wild Thing preview, so that's not by the regular creative team. That was by Hama and uh, Lim. And then you also had a preview of Fantastic Five by Tom DeFalco and Paul Ryan. That's the book I ended up buying of the two. I don't think I've really read much uh, Wild Thing. And then there was a preview, I believe, of Buzz? Or maybe it was just a regular story, but that was by... Uh, with friends on art and uh then there was another story as well so there's a lot in that annual from what i remember and i really like the annual uh it was cool uh speaking of books that maybe we should never talk about again is uh spider-man chapter one uh chapter 11 sorry chapter one issue 11 um maybe the less said the better it's not a great series and not 
not a not a great period for Spider-Man. It's, you know, it was it was just kind of forgettable. It wasn't even bad. Well, Chapter One was bad, but I mean, the era in terms of what it was what it was for Spider-Man, I would say, isn't necessarily bad. Bad. Uh, it was just kind of not that great, and uh, yeah, not very memorable. Um, stuff I wasn't reading at the time, but was still coming out, was Superboy and Supergirl, uh, as they respectively had their 66th and 36th issues in this particular month. Uh, let's see, there's Man of Steel. Um, I'm gonna look at that right now. Uh, Thor was up to issue 15 of its run by Dan Jurgens and uh, John Romita Jr. I've taught, I've done two episodes sorry this uh, issue was actually by Lee Weeks I should take that back but usually it was uh, John Romita Jr. working on the book at this time Um, so I've had two episodes kind of looking at that run um, that I did with friend of the show Tim Riley Uh, moving forward let's see uh, here's the stuff I I know I was buying Uncanny X-Men 372 Root Awakenings it was part of The Shattering and again this kind of led into uh, what you get in um in astonishing in terms of the, the team kind of uh, falling apart and uh, being torn apart. Uh, next up, let's see what else we got. Witchblade, I wasn't really buying that either. Uh, Wizard is uh, is listed here. Issue 97. Yeah, I was definitely buying it at this time. I probably started a few months earlier. It, just looking at the cover is funny because you have uh, the Cassie Kane backer on the cover. Although, at this point, would it have been her or would it have been Helena? Uh, Bernelli, I don't know, but it's more—it's just a weird comment to make, and I—I I, I don't know who did the cover here. Um, but the first thing that I noticed—the covers by oh, J. Scott Campbell, no wonder. Um, it's just that when you think of Cassie Kane as character, very lithe and you know nimble and, and and kind of small in stature. Yeah, on this cover, the breasts are out of control. Like not huge for like typical you know superhero women, I should say, but for a character like that. Um, especially knowing how the character is usually represented and, and illustrated, way over the top. Um, you see it on this on these uh, covers. So this is again Wizard number ninety seven. You have a countdown to Wizard two thousand. Three issues to go, and you have Spider Girl on the cover with a Batgirl. Um, again, breasts are a little bit larger than they're usually made by Pat Olaf or by Ron Friends later. Uh, on the top, though, it's interesting. It says X Men movie. Stewart signs up, and you have a picture of Patrick Stewart. Um, so interesting. Um, love to go back and, and see that kind of stuff um, what we thought was going to happen and what people wanted to have happen and what actually ended up happening is always so fascinating um, Wolverine uh, hit issue 142 so it was getting really close uh, to the adamantium going back into Wolverine but at this point uh, on the cover you got Weapon X and Alpha Flight together sorry, together again for the last time it's written by Eric Larson and Eric Stevenson and penciled by Lionel Francis Yu what an interesting creative team um I always liked um, when Larson was working on this book. It definitely felt like it was kind of going batshit crazy with some weird, crazy stuff. But it's kind of fun to you know do crazy, fun stuff. It's comic books. Why not do crazy, fun stuff? Also, this month, you had the launch of X-51, which I mentioned earlier as part of the, the M-Tech imprint. Uh, X-Force made it to issue 94. I'm trying to remember, is this before or after? Oh, this is before the uh, Counter-X stuff. So that hadn't happened yet. Um but it, I think this issue is maybe about Genosha um, because uh, at least on the cover it looks like they're trying to infiltrate Magneto in some way at the time he had just become leader of Genosha I believe or at least not far before this um, I think Counter X was maybe only six months away you have X-Men number 55 called Trouble on the Home Front by Terry Cavanaugh oh yeah Terry Cavanaugh and penciled by Mike S. Miller um, the cover art is very strange 
um, by Andrew Robinson, but uh, the book was going to be a lot stranger about six issues later when Counter-X took over and he became the Shaman X-Men, X-Men, I should say, which is definitely one of my favorite things, though. I love that book. Um, you got, uh, in X-Men, you have Bishop is back, but is he the last X-Men? Um, and it's kind of a weird period for Bishop when he had the, the dreads, but he was wearing this weird battle armor. Um, this issue written by Alan Davis, Terry Cavanaugh, and Jeff Johnson on pencils. And this was kind of concluding Alan Davis's run, run as a writer, uh, or at least was getting damn close to it. Um, and then we had X-Men Unlimited, number 24. Um, I, I did not read this. Um, special bonus, Magneto Rex epilogue. Man, why didn't I read this? I love Magneto Rex. Uh, to save a family, Wolverine must face one of his deadliest foes. That does not sound the most exciting. Sounds pretty typical. Uh, and then last but not least, you had X, sorry, Xena, Warrior Princess, issue number one. And you had an, an issue of Young Justice. Um, I never read the Xena comics. I wonder if they're any good. Uh, Young Justice hit its uh, issue 12. And in very kind of not standard format um you have issue 12 is actually part one of a story um you could tell it's before people started writing things for trades and and formatting things differently uh just looking at the cover just really reminds me of the good old days um so you got peter david writing it you got todd knock on art and uh, it just feels like a you know a delightful older day when comic book characters had their silly garish costumes and it was and comics just looked like they were fun so that was 20 years ago crazy um, and I, I would I, I would do thirty years, but I wasn't buying any comics there, so my commentary would be a lot less interesting. I could do ten years, and actually, maybe I will do ten years at some point, and uh, that will be very depressing for me because I'll be like, that was ten years ago. Like at least this uh, feels long enough ago for the most part that like we've had regime changes, we've had co- major continuity rehauls, overhauls, whatever. But so even though it's like, well, it's twenty years ago. It, it still feels like it's 20 years ago. Whereas I think if I was to take a look at some comics and say, well, this was 10 years ago, I might be like, holy fuck, really? Like, how is that 10 years already? Or even five years in some cases. Like, some comics get relaunched so quickly or things get, uh, you know, recycled. It'd be interesting to look at, like, you know, seven years ago. Like, when I started this podcast seven years ago, it was during, it was during AVX. Like, we what was it 20 30 episodes into the show or maybe 18 episodes into the show where i did a, a huge long you know decompress look at every chapter of avx like this doesn't feel seven years ago and right after that you had the launch of uncanny x-men as part of marvel now we also had the beginning i believe of uh, jason aaron's run on thor and that just ended or at least has migrated into the king thor book um that you know, and that's crazy. That it's been that long, and you look at all the different books. If you were to chart like just Avengers at that time was Uncanny Avengers, um, by um, what was it Rick Remender that ran for like two years. Then you had Axis. Then you had Hickman writing all of his Avengers. This is all happened while Jason Aaron was writing his uh, you know his uh, Thor story. Like it's kind of crazy how he's had one consistent run, and all these other people have shuffled in and out of all these books. You could say the same thing about Dan Slott because obviously he was on Spider-Man for what like ten years, maybe not always a sole writer, but at least for a very long time he was working on the book. And it's just kind of batshit crazy that how many other things have been in flux and changed and moved around, and how many ch- chairs have been reset and moved around while one person wrote a book. Anyways, it's just mind-boggling to me.
Anyways, thanks for joining me for this rambling uh, random episode. This has been episode 706. You can email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, rate and review the show on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Again, the next episode we'll have Matt Wilson, the uh, award-winning, Eisner award-winning colorist. Really excited to chat with him for the show. And uh, we're working on some other stuff coming up in the next couple of months. Hoping to have Marv Wolfman on the show in October. That's a big one for me if I can get... um, uh, Marv Wolfman on the show, hoping to bring Mark Wade back at some point uh, to talk about uh, Archie, because um, they have another Archie kind of time. I forget, I think it's 1955 this time. The first one was 1941. Um, anyways, I'm really excited to talk about all these projects um, with him. And uh, yeah, any chance to talk to Mark Wade is always an exciting one. Anyways, thank you for listening to this episode, and we will catch you next time. Bye bye.